0: Hey man, it's me, Kevin Smith. Are you listening to the right podcast? Because you're supposed to be listening to
1: Three Guys in Flick. Are you listening to that right now? Then you're in the right place. Enjoy. Ladies and gentlemen, please take your seats. The show is about to begin.
0: Go and tell your master that we have been charged by God with a sacred quest. If he will give us food and shelter for the night, he can join us in our quest for the Holy Grail.
2: Well, I'll ask him, but I don't think he'll be very keen. He's already got one, you see?
1: Welcome back. You are listening to Three Guys in a Flick. This is where we review the good, the bad, and the absurd. Tonight's episode, Monty Python and the Holy Grail. Beware spoilers. Coming to you from inside Castle, Arr. my name is Don. And to my right, we have the comic book guy, John. How you doing? And to my left, we have the professor, Ken.
2: Good evening, everybody.
1: And joining us tonight, a long-time listener, this is Nolan. Howdy. How you guys doing tonight?
2: Brilliant.
3: Never been better. Fan-fucking-tabulous. How about yourself?
1: Well, thank you for asking. I am a little bit of okay. A little bit of okay. go. Yeah, yeah. Tonight we are talking about Monty Python and the Holy Grail, and this comes to us via the Bronco helmet, and it was submitted to us by our longtime listener, Nolan. Hey, Nolan, why Monty Python and the Holy Grail?
0: This movie I think I've seen at least once a year since I was a very little kid. My dad a long time ago bought the DVD for it, and my family its just been a staple of our movie-watching. Throughout the years, my brother and I can quote it. We quote it back to each other all the time. And it's just, it's always like stuck with me, the nostalgia. And every time I watch it, I just think different jokes land better or worse. And I just am obsessed
3: with it. I think it's hilarious.
1: And listeners, that is in fact the power of film.
3: I love the fact that it's a family movie for it. It's something that they, it bonds them all together. My question for you, Nolan, have you seen Spamalot the musical? I have not. Oh, you need to see it. It's It really complements the movie.
1: It is really good. Hey, Nolan, do you like musicals? The,
3: they're very hit or miss for me. <laughs> well, this one would be a hit. Am I still
1: banned from musicals? What was the last musical? I don't remember. Then yes. Until you remember. I mean, this it can't all live on The Professor and I. We have enough. Was Uh, it the Muppet movie, I think? Okay. Okay. There you go. Yes, it was the Muppet movie. And what do you think? Should we? I'm I'm asking you, but- I already know the next one. Oh, Oh, shit. What is it?
3: Well, I'm not going to
1: tell you. You sure you don't want to tell us? I think you want to tell us.
3: No, because the ban will continue. (laughs) (laughs) Well,
1: I'm wondering, should you tell Nolan? He's a third party here, or a fourth party, so- I kind of want to hear it. Yeah, see? Okay, Ken and I won't listen. We promise. Look. Earmuffs. He's shaking his head, listeners. He's shaking his head. Comic book guide, had you seen Monty Python and the Holy Girl before? Used to watch this
3: all the time in college. It was just
1: one of those movies that almost every
3: weekend you could find some TV that had it on. Nice. So yeah, probably a couple hundred times.
1: (laughs) Excellent. Professor. Yeah, I've seen it a bunch. Have you? Yeah, yeah. I can't remember the last time I saw it. And the only thing I actually remembered about it was The Black Knight and The Coconut horses which leads me to maybe believe i don't think i've ever seen this movie and watching it it's going to be kind of like my first time so
3: well let me ask you this even though you don't remember if you've seen the movie the whole way through before this have you heard like the different quotes though the quotes have been out there for so long
1: do you know who i am
3: your guy who quotes everything
1: okay so i'm gonna let you answer that question
3: like do you have a favorite quote from this movie
1: no not really nothing that jumps out to me
3: professor do you have a favorite quote?
1: No, not necessarily. All right, hit us. I know you got one.
0: Well, so for me, it changes every time I watch it. Because again, I watch every couple of years. So as I've grown up, it's gone from like the more slapstick stuff to like the more dry humor. So now for me, I love the whole exchange about like with the anarcho-syndicalist peasant Dennis and then King Arthur, like that whole bit just kills
2: me. You know, I'm thinking that this is probably a truly absurd movie.
1: Professor, I was thinking that exact same thing last night when I was watching it, but I didn't want to bring it up because I didn't want to offend the millions and millions of lovers of this movie this is a cult classic i mean people love this fucking flick
3: well the tagline for our show is the good the bad and the absurd and this would fit into the absurd category of those three tj first told me
0: about the podcast and i was gonna start submitting some movies i the first three i came up with i don't remember the other two but i was like i'm gonna put one good movie one bad movie one absurd movie and like when i got to absurd i was trying to think of one and this was the first thing that came to mind so that was the inspiration for the submission.
1: Well, then I stand fucking corrected. And, Bam. Yeah, let's fucking do this. Dude, you want to know which quote I
3: like? I'm not dead yet. <laughs> over and I over s- again. I say that one all the time. And the
1: one that follows it. I'm actually feeling better, right? Yeah, I'd like yeah.
3: to go for a walk. You're not yeah, feeling anyone.
1: Released on April 3rd, 1975, Monty Python and the Holy Grail was directed by Terry Gillian and Terry Jones. Screenplay by Graham Chapman, John Cleese, Eric Idle, Terry Gilliam, Terry Jones, and Michael Palin. And it stars Graham Chapman, John Cleese, Eric Idle, Terry Gilliam, Terry Jones, Michael Palin, and a bunch of other Brits. How'd this movie do, Don? This movie was made for $282,000, and it looked to bring in... $2.3 $2.3 million in 1975 and $5.5 million from all the re-releases.
3: So not too shabby. It did even better when it's been re-released in the theater.
1: Yeah. I mean, again, cult classic. Mm-hmm. People love this fucking movie. Yeah. And what what came out the summer of 75? Jaws. Jaws J- came out in the summer of
2: 1975. That's right. This movie making its money, you know, a couple of million dollars, a good box office run in 1975, you're probably looking at somewhere between 30 and 50 million dollars. That's a, that's a really good, successful run. And not that this movie isn't a great movie, because it is, but for it to make that paltry amount, and yet it still has its staying power, and it's still so beloved, I'm befuddled. Why does this movie have such a small box office return when it is so beloved? Curious.
1: So this is directed by Terry Gilliam. Are you guys familiar with Terry Gilliam's work?
3: Only from the Monty Python and, the, Holy, or, and the, the Flying Circus acting troupe. Now, do you know why him and Terry Jones were given the director job of this? Why is that? Because they all discussed who would direct it, and they were the only two that were interested.
1: Yeah, well, director by committee. Yeah. yeah. Do you know any other works from Terry Gilliam? Does the name ring a bell or anything outside of this? No, not at all. What about you there, good sir? Yes, sir. All right, hit me.
2: Brazil. Fucking love that movie. Haven't seen it in ages. Another good one, Fisher King. Yeah. And last but not least, 12 Monkeys. I love it. I love it.
1: I'm going to take your Brazil, Fisher King, and 12 Monkeys, and I'm going to raise you Time Bandits. Ooh, good movie. Yeah, so I've I, I've liked Terry Gilliam. He also did Fear and Loathing in Las Vegas. Yeah, which, which Bear, is in the helmet. Baron so, Munchausen. Yeah, I've been familiar with Terry Gilliam. So
3: I'll say now that you say those movies, I've seen the majority of those. I think there's only one that I had not seen.
1: Yeah, let's talk a little bit about this cast. They all come from the Flying Circus, right? Yes.
2: Yeah, and that's pretty much where they they gravitate towards these projects that they all work on together. Bra- Brazil. Life of Brian, Baron Munchausen, they just have a tendency to stick together. And that's pretty much the only place that I know all of these guys, with I thought, the exception of John Cleese.
3: So I thought John Cleese put it best like one of the reasons why they will never get back together again is they're they were kind of like the Beatles in that when you're missing one or you're missing two, it's just not the same. So they were like the Beatles of I think comedy acting troops.
1: Sure. Sure. Outside of Monty Python, were you familiar with the Flying Circus and any other of their shenanigans?
0: No, that's the thing. This is their only piece of work I've seen. Like there I haven't seen any other Monty Python. Or actually I've seen one other sketch. They have the wafer thin sketch where the guy's eating all the food at the table and they ask him if he wants a mint. Right. That's the only that's the only other thing I've seen, but other than that, it's just Monty Python and the Holy Grail.
1: Your homework after leaving here is to watch Monty Python and the Life of Brian.
3: That and if you want to watch a great sketch, watch the parrot sketch. Do you ever see the dead parrot sketch? Flying circus? M- maybe, but it doesn't that one's funny and then the walking funny
1: one. Yeah. Growing up, did you guys ever catch the flying circus at all?
2: Ever so often. A little bit,
1: but not a lot. Right. It was kind of sparse here mm-hmm. when we were growing up, but mm-hmm. I knew of them and I know who Monty Python, the troop was. And
3: but Did you catch the big change from Monty Python, The Flying Circus, to what they did in this movie, what they did differently in this movie?
1: I have no clue what you're talking about.
3: In The Flying Circus, all the parts of women were played by men. In this movie, they started, decided to let women actually play their parts.
1: Well, look at these Brits being all progressive. Mm -hmm. Good for them.
3: Of these cast members, Graham, John, Eric, was there one particular that you know of or you've enjoyed throughout movies?
1: I think for me, the three are John Cleese, Eric Idle, and Michael Palin. I'm a big fan of Fish Called Wanda. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's a great movie. Yeah, and uh, so that's where I'm kind of familiar with John Cleese. And they all look familiar, and I know they. I've seen them in movies, and I've seen The Life of Brian. But those three stand out to me as the most recognizable cast members.
3: I was going to say it's about just about the same thing. John Cleese and Eric Idle are the two that I've always loved. Yeah. Did you catch anything in the movie going on with Graham Chapman during this filming? Which one's Graham Chapman? He played King Arthur as well as a bunch of other roles.
1: I uh, no, what was going on with him?
3: He is, or at time, was an alcoholic, and going during the filming of this movie they didn't have any alcohol on set. And so he was trying to take medication to help with his withdrawals. I guess to call them DTs. And it wasn't working, no alcohol available. So I tried to catch it, this, this watch through. I didn't see it, but they say in a lot of scenes, you can see him sweating. They had the, a lot of times where he had to improvise because he kept forgetting his lines, especially the, when he was crossing the bridge. He had a lot of trouble during that time because of going through withdrawals of his alcoholism.
1: Huh, I would have never known.
2: And his armor, he's the only one that wears armor Yeah, and it weighs a little extra. It's only like 25 pounds, but still, if you're not used to wearing it. Sure. The rest of them had, their chainmail was
3: made out of wool, which was painted to look like armor, which was great and all until it rained.
1: <laughs> I bet. I bet. Well, they fucking pulled it off and I got to say this real quick. Do you think Mel Gibson is a Monty Python and a Holy Grail fan? Why wouldn't he be? And I say that because didn't it look a lot like Braveheart when they go, when they all line up to go take on the French at Mm -hmm. the end? I was thinking, oh my God, this is a shot for shot. Mel Gibson watched this. He took this from Monty Python for Braveheart. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Made me dig it just a little bit more. So there you go.
3: I love the tagline for this movie. You could do worse than see it. Oh, sure. It just seems like a fun And
1: Kind of just says, yeah, I guess cause I got nothing better to do. Yeah. And oddly enough, that's kind of how I feel about the movie. <laughs> so. Do you know that. how
3: this movie got funded?
1: No. How did this movie get funded? Do you know, Professor? Uh-uh.
0: No? Uh, I think it was a bunch of like...
3: Uh, musicians right exactly a bunch of musicians who were fan of the sketch comedy including led zeppelin pink floyd and genesis all contributed from their different tours and albums pink floyd donated a ton of money from the album dark side of the moon to make this movie
1: right on that's a great fucking album Mm -hmm. so have you ever listened to dark side of the moon
0: i think i had to for a music appreciation
3: class i took in high school oh yeah yeah
1: Oh, right
3: right on how old does that make you feel
1: hey man i'm as old as i feel in my heart and today pretty old no i feel like i'm seven so there's that
3: did you hear that two weeks before they were supposed to start filming the scottish department of environment said that the movie was incompatible with the history and fabric of the castles they wanted to use and all of a sudden took back permission for them to use any of the the castles
1: Fuckers, no way.
3: So they ended up having, I guess, the castles we see is like the same one or two castles that they just keep reusing over and over again for all the outside and interior shots.
1: Oh, I figured they did that on purpose, not because they couldn't get <laughs> right the right castles. Right, I right. thought it was very intentional.
2: It pretty much worked out, I think, for the better. Yeah. The, the horses or the lack thereof horses, that came about because they didn't have it in their budget to have horses and so they just use the sound effects that they use for radios of the coconut shells for for horses.
3: And again, I think that just became
1: iconic. Yeah, I I always wondered why they did that.
2: Well,
0: so growing up, my brother had told me the budget, the low budget thing where. They would use the coconuts instead of horses, and I always thought he was lying. I thought he just made that up and was trying to tell me that.
1: Oh, really? Yeah. Well, there you go.
3: Yeah. If you go and see the musical, they always have like souvenirs out front you can buy. You can buy the coconut shells.
1: (laughs) I'm sure you can.
3: I think this movie was filmed in just five weeks. I've heard the similar that it was a really quick filming, but I also heard it was an absolute miserable set to film on. In that they were constantly hiking for miles and miles in wet, wet, you know, cold weather, having to stay into positions that they just did not enjoy. So, if you would ask any of, like John Cleese or any of them in interviews, they say that they feel like this is the worst movie they ever made, and mainly because it's just a horrible experience they had making it.
1: The locations themselves were beautiful, but. Watching it, I could tell it took them a minute to get there, and it's 1975.
3: That's one of the things I think is must make it true that it was filmed, you know, in such a short amount of time. Because the other thing I read is that when they would be filming take after take after take, you know, the directors wanted to do another take, and the cast just revolted almost every time, saying, "We're done. We want to move on. Let's go to the next thing."
1: Well, fuck the cast. It's not their fucking movie. Am I right?
2: You're right. It's Absolutely. K. See. I did think about that specifically when we meet Tim, the Enchanter, and he's up on that little peak, right? And we have Arthur and his troop in the foreground. He, John Cleese had to go walk over there and climb up that thing. And then you had the pyrotechnics on the other hillsides. A couple of guys had to go climb up all those hills and and put pyrotechnics up out there. So I was thinking oh. about that too. Is it that time, Don?
1: Why, yes, boys, it is that time. Welcome to another edition of Master Movie Trivia. I am your reigning champ. You may call me the champ. I have compiled five questions and five questions only to test your knowledge of the movie we are reviewing. Each question could be worth multiple points, so if you know the answer, say it. And please wait until I finish each question. Nolan, you are our guest, and you are more than welcome to play along as well. All right. Are you guys ready. Fire it up. Fire it up. Fire it up. Question number one. When King Arthur and Sir Belvedere encounter the Knights of Knee, what item is required before they can proceed? A, A shrubbery. And, and it's not Belvedere. What is it? It's Bedivere.
3: Take a point away for him correcting you.
1: I fucking should, but question number two, what is the name of the pious theme army explosive? Uh, uh, holy, holy hand grenade hand- 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 of Antioch. Of Antioch. <laughs> yeah, I'm going to call a tie all the way around again.
3: I didn't have the end part. Did you want to give them the extra? I just said holy hand grenade.
1: Of Antioch. Look look at this guy. He's laying down on his sword. Yes, I'm not going to give you the point. Okay. For your honesty. That's way to be way to be accountable, comic book. I am so impressed. They were better prepared. I am so impressed with him right now. Bonus question.
2: Sir Jonathan DePure. Pure
1: disqualified. What 2018 Steven Spielberg directed movie feature this classic weapon?
3: Ready player one.
1: Do you get your point Man, back? Man, I was Look totally at thinking about that. I was totally thinking about that.
2: 2018? Yep. I remember being excited that they included that. Yeah, mm-hmm. I was like 2 seconds behind on that.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Question number three, King Arthur rounds up his round table. Name the members.
0: Sir Benevere, Sir, Sir Lancelot, Robin. Sir Robin. They're not quite so brave as Sir Lancelot. Uh, the, the Sir not appearing in this film. Sir Galahad. Sir Galahad.
1: Yep. All five. I was waiting for you guys to get all five. The one I didn't think you would remember is Sir not appearing in this film. So well done, Nolan. You get the point. Question number four. John Cleese, Sir Lancelot, played a character in the iconic James Bond franchise during the Pierce Brosnan era. Name that character. Q. Q. Very nice. And question number five. What was Sir Lancelot's favorite color? Blue. Well done, Professor. Well done. Bonus question. What was the color of the knight the Black Knight was fighting? Green. Green. Very good, Nolan. Very good. Way to come in. After telling the points up. Professor and comic book guy, you have tied and being edged out by Nolan. Nolan, you are tonight's winner. Congratulations. You are one step closer to movie immortality.
3: Yeah. I enjoy getting edged out, so that's awesome. In AD
1: 932... King Arthur and his squire, Patsy, travel Britain searching for men to join the Knights of the Round Table. Along the way, Arthur debates whether swallows can carry coconuts, passes through a town infected with the plague, reaccounts receiving Excalibur from the Lady of the Lake to two
0: anarcho-syndicalist
1: peasants, defeats the Black Knights, and observes an impromptu witch trial. He recruits Sir Bedivere the Wise, Sir Lancelot the Brave, Sir Galahad the Pure, Sir Robin the not-quite-so-brave as Sir Lancelot, and the apt name Sir not appearing in this film, along with their squires and Robin's minstrels. Arthur leads the knights to Camelot, but after a musical number, changes his mind, deeming it a silly place. As they turn away, God appears and orders Arthur to find the Holy Grail. All right, so this movie opens up, black screen, white text. And then, seeing as this was probably the first time I ever watched it, I thought the captions were all fucked up. <laughs> right? And I was, I, I kept pressing back on Netflix to see if I started the wrong movie. I mean, they fucking got me.
3: That, and did it seem like these opening credits went on forever?
1: Yep. What'd you guys think of this whole bit? Did it make you laugh? Or did it
0: yeah nowadays i think it's hilarious but when i was a kid this was one of the first movies i'd seen where the credits were at the beginning and i was pissed off as a kid i was like why is it taking so long start the damn movie already
1: but growing up you can now appreciate it
0: oh yeah well it's just because of all the funny little bits like if you read close enough like it's hilarious i think
1: sure well yeah. for
3: me when the opening credits started i think i looked away or i was looking at something else figuring i just wait till the credits Ended and I didn't realize there were jokes going on during it. So I got to near the end and saw that this person's been sacked by this person. And I thought, oh crap! now I got to go all the way back and reread all those captions, which were totally worth it.
1: And was it me or did this did the score change every time the film changed? Was there a different score throughout the opening of this film? There were two scores. Oh, okay,
2: yeah, there was the, there was the ominous music, and then after. After the person that got sacked, that did the sacking, then they changed to violins. That peppy, like, spastic flashing and, well, opening. No. And and, oh. it, and then after that is all done, that person gets sacked, and then we have the, the low budget and the flashing. Right, right.
1: Yeah, so every time someone gets sacked, you get new credits. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Now I get the joke.
2: <laughs> so on the DVD, there's a different intro that is given even before this. And it's, you got this swing music that plays and you have, it. it, it's like a 1950s black and white movie. And I think it's called dentist on the job or something like that. And it goes on for like 30 seconds. And then the, and then it stops and you hear a guy muttering about, you know, this is the wrong movie.
0: (laughs) (laughs) When they start mentioning like the, moose trained by or like moose trained to mix concrete and sign complicated insurance oh, forms. Yeah, yeah, yeah. they have all that written out with the like the swedish subtitles towards the end i think it might be the second to last bit of the credits they say large moose one of, i don't even know what you call that like someone's role in the movie it just, or it just as large moose on left side and third scene from the end given given thorough gr- grounding in latin french and zero level geography i actually rewinded Went to that scene and tried to there's no moose there. It's such, oh, really? a, it's such a letdown.
3: So <laughs> if that
0: had been there, I would have I would have just that would, that would have been amazing.
3: So basically you're saying they lied. They did lie.
0: And I confirmed it on the internet as well. I was like, someone else has also rewound to go see that.
1: That's hilarious. They sent you on a wild goose chase with no payoff. A wild moose chase. Uh, wah, wah, wah. So King Arthur and the horse thing coconut guy they come up to the castle patsy they come up to the castle right and it was at this point when they start talking the dialogue that's happening that's going on the conversation i started thinking to myself oh that's pretty witty you know it's the writing and the snappiness and sometimes the jokes landed for me and sometimes they didn't but i did appreciate throughout this entire film was the cadence of the dialogue Mm-hmm. So what do you guys think of this bit with the French and the king?
2: Oh, well, it, the unladen swallow conversation, classic, classic, right? This, this is one of the first things that I think about when I think about this movie. Is, you know, the, the discussion between the African and the European swallows.
0: Yeah. I just, uh, the, for me, the best part of it is just how much it comes up throughout the film. Like it's just a running gag from start to finish. And it has a lot of relevance at the end as well.
2: Sure.
1: Absolutely. I agree. <laughs> Oh my God, he's speechless. When the
2: fuck did that happen? And, you know, just as a, just the simple practicalness, well, where did you get them? Yeah. We found them. (laughs) I
3: just love the fact of that. And I think we've all been there where two people are just arguing or having some kind of conversation. You're feeling a third party and you just kind of walk away. Oh yeah. I just love it. You know, it happens to me all the time at parties. It's like, okay, I have nothing to contribute. I'm just going to walk over here.
1: Oh, is that all it takes? Yeah. Oh, okay. Good to know, guys. So after the king, bring out your dead. Ding. What did you guys think of this bit? This is
3: one of my favorite scenes.
1: Why is that? I don't know
3: why. I just love the fact, first of all, again, the quotes. I always love the the old guy with I'm not dead yet and all that. I love the the fact that if you watch it closely, you can see they're all trying not to laugh. Like, did you catch Eric Idle? Hiding onto the scythe or whatever so that he wouldn't laugh. And John Cleese is looking away from the camera.
1: They're all just losing it at that point. No, no, I missed it. What about you? What do you think of the scene?
0: For me, at the beginning, as a kid, I thought that the monks, they're in the procession and they're thumping their heads. As a kid, I always thought they were like books and I thought that was like a play with like Bible thumpers or something like that. And then of course, now I'm an adult and I watch that. I'm like, they're literally just smacking themselves with planks of wood. Like it's not even that clever like it's
1: <laughs> right
3: well there's a a religious thing about like hurting yourself
2: to kind of get penance i don't know what it's called catholicism and, yeah it's a, it, it's a it's a trade <laughs> some sex of catholicism will
3: do so that's what i thought i assume that's what the monks were doing is is that they were you know singing their little thing and then smacking. Of the gags in this movie, that is my favorite gag of the whole movie. Of them smacking their... Of the monks smacking themselves in the face every time they say that
2: line. Oh, that's funny.
0: I also think if you pay attention while the scene's progressing, there's the lady who's smacking the cat on the side of the house.
2: Yeah, we see that a couple times. Did you catch throughout the movie?
0: Yeah, and she shows up later. I think if you look at her face, I think that's the same actress who plays the old crone that uh, Bedivere and Arthur interrogate later.
3: One of the things that I read was basically this scene with bring out your dead. And then when they go to the town to get the shrubbery, it's the same town and it's supposed to signify or supposed to show us that King Arthur is just going around in circles.
1: And so after they leave the dead, they stumble upon Dennis. What would you guys think of this whole bit? I like how it opened up
2: because he's riding through and one person says, oh, he must be a king. How can you tell? Well, he doesn't have shit all over him, right? (laughs) Yeah, I love that bit, which is great because in the end he gets shit all over him. Yeah, yeah, I I have to say that following along the dialogue that you know where Eric Idle is trying to explain, you know, the form of government that they have cracks me up because it's so sophisticated, it's so convoluted, and he's this peasant, and I love what they're doing throughout. They're just stacking these pieces what would look like mud patties or something
1: yeah yeah
0: Yeah. anytime like there's peasants supposed to be like doing work in the background of this movie like i just love paying attention to it because it's always they're just doing random shit like stacking mud or later in a different scene there's a guy just slamming a log into a
3: river over and over again (laughs) but the part that cracks me up is i'm being repressed i'm being repressed are you seeing this i'm being repressed right and i also like how uh Dennis breaks it down that just because some tart in a lake gave you a sword, that doesn't make you king.
2: From here, we go on and we meet the Black
1: Knight. Whenever I thought of Monty Python and the Holy Grail, this is the scene that I always thought of. So I know I've seen this scene, so I couldn't remember if I saw it like on YouTube or like in the greatest of documentary mm-hmm. things mm-hmm. or if I'd actually seen the movie. So.
3: Well, I think it's humorous in that this scene is that apparently when the leg is cut off of the Black Knight they actually had a one-legged actor play that scene. They found a smithy in town or something that had one leg, had him play that role, and John Cleese tried to convince them that when the second leg gets topped off, they needed to use him in that scene too because it was easier to dig one hole than it was to dig two holes for the legs.
1: Oh, sure. What did you guys think of this bit?
2: Hilarious. Yeah.
0: I love this bit. Like I love the sword throw going straight between the visor and just when he's fighting the Green Knight originally. That's just... It was so ridiculous, like, with the cut that way. And for some reason, like, I don't know, this is a little grotesque, but when the when he pulls the sword from the guy's head, like, I don't know what kind of model they used for that, but, like, it had, like, a good look to it. You know what I mean? Like yeah, he just
3: the
2: like, way the body moved.
0: Yeah, like, he just so casually puts his boot up against it and draws the sword out.
3: I always remember, and I hear it all the time, is it's only a flesh wound. You hear that quote everywhere.
0: Yeah, I think this this whole scene, my brother and I growing up, like would quote this constantly back and forth to each other. Like if we were fighting around, it was always like, tis but a scratch or something like that, or come on, you pansy and everything around that.
1: And I love how it ends with him being no legs, no arms. All all right,
2: we'll call it a draw.
0: (laughs) For me, one thing that, I noticed particularly this time is if you look at the bridge he's defending, it's just like this tiny shitty bridge. Like there's no river underneath it. No, nothing impassable where you couldn't just go a couple meters one way and be around him. But it's just this little wimpy thing and sure insists by sin on, on standing by it. So,
3: right. So we come across the next town, which is starting up this whole thing. They've got, they've collected a witch. Did you catch what Sir Bedivere was doing
2: When the the people were bringing the witch to him. He was tying a coconut onto a swallow and setting the swallow up into the air. I I love that they were already continuing on with that
1: gag. Yeah. A running gag. And I'm sure this is just me, but every time Sir Bebedir had to talk, he lifted his fucking... Hilarious. Yeah. Was it? Yes. Was it? Because you could see his
2: entire face. So what's the point? I know! And that's why he does it. (sighs) It drove me fucking nuts.
0: It's like the people who are like, if they're very like snarky with you and they'll like adjust their glasses before telling you off or correcting you. No oh, sure,
3: Made them look smarter.
0: Yeah. yeah.
1: So yeah, they're trying to burn this lady. They think she's a witch. Well, and they had
2: to come up with a reason why she is a witch. Right. And she turned me into a newt. Turned yeah. into a newt. I got better. Yeah. Uh, and the logic that they have, you know, what, what floats on water? Wood. Uh, very very small rocks i love what when they figure out okay to test if
3: she's a witch to see we have to see if she weighs as much as a duck and so they put it they put her on the scale and she ends up weighing the same what did she say i didn't catch it
2: oh i, I don't remember but it, it, she's just flabbergasted mm-hmm.
1: do you remember what she said
0: i think she says that's a fair cup and i think that's like a uk slang or term and i think that's like like, okay, that's fair. I think that's like what it means. Like it's
1: like she accepted it yeah. and that was that. Okay, well, I I weigh the same as a duck, so I must Robin. be a witch. <laughs> yeah.
2: Absurd. Absurd. I, Absurd. I, I, I loved how passionate John Cleese looked when he's yelling,
1: Burner, burn her, <laughs> burn <laughs> So Arthur recruits Bebedir.
2: We get a little montage and it's it's a book of the film revealing Sir Lancelot the brave, Sir Galahad the pure, and Sir Robin the not quite so brave as sir lancelot
3: and sir not appearing in this film which i guess was the baby of one of the actors oh was it one of the yeah one of the children that's funny uh, they go
2: to camelot next. that's correct yeah. they go to
3: camelot which is a silly place what'd you think of the dance number and the singing
2: it was a musical number
1: did you like this bit
0: I never understood the lyrics to this bit until I watched it with subtitles this time around. My entire life, I just assumed they were saying something, but I could only decipher a couple of words. And this time I had the subtitles on and it's, I think it's actually pretty funny. So I had a new appreciation for this, this whole segment.
2: I like the person that was in the prison and he's, he's in shackles, but he's still clapping along to the music.
3: I just like how the music ended with, let's just not go there. It's a silly place.
2: He just
1: stops. Yeah. Yeah.
2: and then. God talks to Arthur. He tells him his purpose.
3: I love that the back and forth where I, I forget what they say and God has to go, why do people always say that or
2: well it's some little number that he does. You know, it's it's this little animated thing. It's all about the Holy Grail.
1: Arthur and his knights arrive at the castle occupied by French soldiers who claim to have the grail and taunt the Britons, driving them back with the barrage of barnyard animals. Bedivere concocts a plan to sneak in using a Trojan rabbit, but forgets to tell others to hide in it. The knights are forced to flee when it is flung back at them. Arthur decides the knights should go their separate ways to search for the holy grail. A modern-day historian filming a documentary on the Arthurian legend is killed by an unknown knight on horseback, triggering a police investigation.
2: King Arthur and the Knights of the Round Table, they now stop at a castle where there are these French soldiers inside, and the taunting and badgering begins. I love how that's their weapon of choice. It's like, you know, if you're going to stay
1: here, we're going to keep taunting you. Until finally... They fucking start throwing barnyard animals at them.
3: Did you know that that is based off of a like real history? Really? Yeah. That idea was taken from, there was a siege of a castle or of a town where basically both sides were starving and the side inside the town were ran out of weapons, ran out of everything. So they actually took what the remaining food they have and started throwing it at the soldiers outside the gates the soldiers outside the gates assumed that if they could throw food at us, that they could probably last the siege much longer. They must have a lot of food inside. And because of that, they gave up and went away.
1: Interesting. I would have words with that general who retreated. Moron. I think just take the food and eat the food. Well, yeah. 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 What'd you guys think of this thing? Loved it. You just loved this movie all the way around, didn't you? Pretty much. I like that. For the
3: animals, I guess, there were certain like, animals they wanted to use and they had to go with what they could find. So that's why you got the flinging cow coming at them. One of the other things that they found, and I think they might have used it in a scene later, but driving into the filming one day, one of the people found a dead sheep on the road. Oh, really? And so they actually took the roadkill sheep, cleaned it all up, filled it with something and used that as part of the catapult. They said it smelled horrible. I could imagine. As it should. There's
0: just a lot of taunts in this sequence that I, my brother and I, of course, always like throw back at each other. Like your mother was a hamster and your father smelt of elderberries. Mm-hmm. Or especially when he's, when he's done with them and he's saying, now go away or I shall taunt you a second time.
2: Yeah. that I, I've, I've said that many times. <laughs>
1: <laughs> Another fun bit is we get the first run away. I was just going to say that. Yeah. The, which becomes a recurring bit. Throughout the movie. And actually, I think I've heard my brother in law say that many times. So now I get it.
3: Yeah. One of the things I was going to say, Nolan mentioned foreshadowing earlier, was when the French say, you know, uh, a grail, we have one of those, or our boss has one of those. I thought that was foreshadowing because eventually they end up back at the same castle again.
1: Oh, and it turned out to be the same grail that they were talking yeah. about. Yeah. 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 And so. Better be right. Sir, I have a plan. You know when they rolled this thing up, I who rolled it up because they were hiding behind the fucking. Well, I think their, they
3: uh, roll it up first and then they run away.
0: Well, no, because they're they they crawl up from the, oh. the ditch after that. They're I watching think. it being rolled up, right? I think it's the the pack mules, Patsy and oh. or is that his name, Patsy? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, like those guys.
1: So the French come down and they take it in, and it's a Trojan horse. And I kept thinking to myself, "Well, who's in it? Because they're all over here." Yeah, joke's on me. He did it on purpose.
3: Speaking of Patsy, one thing I forgot to mention earlier. Did you catch Patsy's one line in the entire movie?
0: It's only a model.
3: Yeah, when they first got to Camelot and looked up at the hill, King Arthur talks about how impressive Camelot looks, and Patsy just quietly and quickly says,
1: it's only a model. Do you know who Patsy is? I can't remember his name. Terry Gilliam. It's the fucking director. Why am I the only one that knows that? Because
2: we have a lot of our characters played by five people. Okay. So which one of the five is it? I I had to look. Do
3: you know which actor plays the most roles in this?
1: G- Eric Idle.
3: No. Michael Palin. Michael Palin. He played God damn 12 roles in this movie.
1: I don't doubt it. I like him. Are you, side note, er, I really like him in A Fish Called Wanda.
2: He's really good. Wait, hey, you,
1: do you like hey, that movie? Hey, listeners, do me a favor. Fish call Wanda into the helmet, please and thank you. And you count as a listener, Nolan, just so oh, you I know.
3: Okay. So back to the Trojan Rabbit. So there was nobody inside. What'd you, did you find that gag funny?
1: I mean, ridiculous. And yeah, it was ridiculous. I don't know if funny is the right word for me, but mm-hmm. yeah. And then out comes the Trojan Rabbit. It catapulted. Which naturally was going to happen.
3: I love that it landed on the same guy who would gotten... Hurt from a previous scene. He was all in the bandages. That's
0: yeah, Patsy. Was it
1: Patsy
3: or was it someone else?
0: I think it's just a random yeah. dude. Are
1: we sure? I think so. Cause
0: I think he's got a beard, doesn't he? Or some like a goatee or something.
1: Hey man, you would know better than I, you, you've been watching this since you were a kid. So some random squire. Oh, there you go. Uh,
0: there you go. Before the French soldiers run out and grab the rabbit, it's funny that one of them starts muttering in French and they're all like, what? What are you saying? And they're like, let's go. Let's get it. Like he has to say it in English, even though they're all supposedly
3: French. <laughs> <Yeah>.
2: <laughs> I like the door thing too, where all their heads kind of stick out the side of the door. We cut to a famous historian. He's summarizing one of the last scenes that we have just witnessed. When out of the blue, here comes a knight, goes galloping by and slashes him in the throat.
3: I tried to actually look up this time. Who was the knight that went ahead and committed the murder? And because I kind of felt like, are they trying to create a murder mystery throughout this whole thing? And they just say in the listing,
1: some random knight. I could have swore it was John Cleese, but I was probably wrong. Probably. Did you Did
3: you appreciate that while we have the movie going on the rest of the way, Every so often, we kind of get this, again, another running gag of these investigators coming in and checking things out and doing some investigation. And It's cute,
1: yeah. I guess. Arthur and Bedivere are given directions by an old man and attempt to satisfy the strange requests of the dreaded knights who say nay. Knee. ni Knee. Knee. Sir Robin avoids a fight with the three-headed knight by running away while the heads are arguing among themselves. Sir Galahad is led by a grail-shaped beacon to Castle Anthrax, which is occupied exclusively by young women who wish to be punished for misleading him, but he is unwillingly rescued by Lancelot. Lancelot receives an arrow-shot note from Swamp Castle. Believing the note is from a young lady being forced to marry against her will, he storms the castle and slaughters several members of the wedding party, only to discover that the note is from an effeminate prince.
3: I don't know if I had caught before that the old man that basically gives them their instructions... He's the same guy that ends up on the Bridge of Death, isn't he, that asked them the questions? Yeah, it, it's the same guy. Yeah, it's it's t- Terry Gillum. Yeah, it's the same guy because he has the same missing kind of eye, clouded eye. and ah, Yeah, ah. so I thought that was kind of interesting. I didn't expect
2: that. So we are given the cue card, the tale of Sir Robin. And so th- this is where we get that, you know, he has the chicken on the shield. Uh-huh. Right? And he comes upon a knight that is a very, very intimidating knight. We see the the three knights that are impaled by a huge lance that's stuck to a tree, mm-hmm. right? And then from there, this is where we meet the giant three-headed knight and his his minstrels. They're they're singing the song of Sir Robin's trying to totally downplay. No, 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 no. Right? I, I mean, I, he's brave and he'll tear them apart and blah, blah blah. I loved. I you know this scene
3: made me think of what I've thought of in other movies, which is you know people always stay for the big fight and everything. Why not run away when they're distracted? Mm. Well, then I love his minstrels afterwards. They're talking about how he, you know, brave, Braves. brave Sir
2: Robin runs away. When danger rears its ugly head. <laughs> he bravely turned his tail in flood.
1: <laughs> what about you? Do you like this scene?
0: Yeah, I like this scene. The minstrels are just hysterical, I thought, like with all their little taglines throughout. But if you, I don't know if you guys caught this, but right at the beginning, Dennis and the other peasant from before walking by and he's saying, like, you don't understand anarcho syndicalism is a way of preserving freedom as just as they're walking by, like a quick little blurb. I thought that was hilarious that they kept that going. Yeah.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah. So we have the tale of Sir Galahad, and this is where Galahad he is He it appears that he's lost and it it's rainy, it's dark, and then he sees a castle off in the distance and we hear probably wolves howling in the background. And he is all of a sudden looking at the grail above the castle. And it's, oh, oh type of
1: thing. Right,
2: right. And so we are taken to Castle Anthrax.
1: What would you guys think of this bit?
0: I thought in the beginning it was really, like, if it was any other movie, the like the aesthetic and the vibe they set up with how, like, I don't know, like, dreary it is as he's approaching the castle. Like, if it was in any other movie, like a movie that took itself more seriously... Like it would be a great, like it was great cinematography. I thought.
1: Right on.
3: I thought of it. If this was a porn movie, I would have to watch it. <laughs> <laughs> because I, I don't think I would leave Castle Anthrax.
1: Well, I'm, I'm kind of on your side
3: there, Bud. He's Galahad the chase at first, so he's like, I can't do any of this. I have to leave. I have to continue. Where's the Grail? Where's the Grail?
0: Right. I think it's funny when they lay him down in the bed, and then they say they'll call for the doctors, and then the two. Like the two women show up and he's like, they're doctors, like these, these women here. Yeah. Yeah. Very funny.
2: I I like how they're explaining who they are, that we're all but young blondes and brunettes between the ages of 16 and 19 and a half, cut off in this castle with no one to protect us.
3: I just like the part where they admit that, oh, the grail thing you saw, that was, you know, so-and-so who accidentally turned on the thing. She lures people in that way. You know, because of this, you're going to have to punish us. Right.
2: Wicked, bad, naughty, evil zoot. (laughs) And that's when he started to get into it. He's like, oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. She must be punished, and therefore, she should have a spanking. I should have a spanking. A spanking, a spanking. Yes. Yes, I want a spanking. Me too, me too. Yes, yes. You must give
1: us all a good spanking. A spanking, a spanking. I
3: think the professor liked this scene.
1: I think so, too. I think he needs a spanking Well, they be,
3: yeah, basically Galahad drags him in and he's like, no, no, no I'll don't! Dra- I'll get you out here. I'm here to help you. I'm here to, and he's like, no, I think I'll stay. I think I'm okay.
2: He's like, oh, hello. Uh, n- no, come, come. And Sir Ladsalot saves Sir Galahad from almost certain temptation. <laughs> we have a cue card that says scene 24. Oh, and, see,
0: okay. Yeah. Then there's
2: this one. And that's where the crazy old coot tells, mm-hmm. tells him they need to go to this cave. So on their way, Arthur and Bedivere, this is where they encounter the knights who say, me! Nee! Now, I failed in watching it the first time I that
3: there's a word you say to them that makes that hurts them. Now, did they not have that
1: in any of their discourse the first time they met well, them? Well, clearly they must not have. Right. And I didn't catch that word until the scene was almost over. It takes some time to figure and, it out. And I almost wanted to go back To see if they had said it prior to. Yeah. Because I had the same question.
2: I really, I am highly confident that it would not be used. What wouldn't? It. It. So yeah, we get the Knights of I love the fact the guy's so super
3: tall and he obviously just wants to help his garden or something because he wants a shrubbery.
1: You must appease us. We want a shrubbery. At first I wasn't sure if I heard that correctly, but yeah, it was a fucking shrubbery.
2: And then we cut to the police and they are investigating the murder of the historian. There's a, the wife, she is talking to an, an officer.
1: And then that's where I was thinking, fuck, we're going to keep doing this throughout the fucking movie, aren't we? Next we have the tale of Sir Lancelot.
0: Or actually there's the scene with, it's like a transition scene where the guy is writing and then.
2: That's yeah. Because the rumbling interrupts him. Right. Because the tale of Sir Lancelot, the, the card gets messed up. Mm-hmm. Oh,
0: you're right. Okay, yeah, I couldn't remember. That. And, and
2: and so that's when it starts with a little montage of the guy. What is that banging? And he goes yeah. down, 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 down. And he goes outside, and there's the sun and the clouds jumping up and down. Yeah, and told him stop doing that.
0: The reason I brought that up was because I remember as a kid again, like the credits, I got so annoyed with that scene. I was like, okay, I get it. He's going down the stairs. Why is this taking so long? But watching it through this time. That scene's only, or it only takes him like five to 10 seconds to go down the stairs. Yeah. He's just a very Mm -hmm. impatient child, I guess.
3: (laughs) Shocker. With the uh, tale of Lancelot, you know, we start with that, that prince who doesn't want to get married. The father, I don't know why, Don, he reminded me of you.
1: Oh, thanks, guy. Every time the little prince
3: wanted to break out in a song, we will not have any singing. Stop that. You're not going
1: to sing while I'm here. I kind of thought of me too. Okay. And I was secretly saying, well, maybe not so secretly, every time he popped out, I went, thank you.
3: That and deciding who your kids will marry.
1: Oh, well, hey, man, that's up to them.
2: <laughs> I love it. when. Now, listen,
1: Alice. Hubert Right. Right. But anyway. <laughs> I don't want to. don't uh, want to get married. Have you guys seen Braveheart? Yes. Yes. It's very much the, the king and his son's relationship. Very much. hmm So. Mm-hmm. That's what it reminded me of.
2: But she's got money and huge tracts of land.
1: Tracts of land. That's what it was. But, but I don't want it. And so the conversation that the king has with his two guards.
3: John Cleese said that that was his favorite scene between the two of them.
1: I don't think John Cleese is in it.
3: No, I know. But he said of when he's asked of the movie, what was his favorite scene throughout the whole movie? Uh, oh, he yeah. said the conversation of it don't is- let him leave and stay here. He said that was his favorite dialogue. It was the written so well.
1: It was, and it was performed very well. Uh, I didn't realize that one of the guards was actually King Arthur. I, as I was looking at it, I went, oh yeah. And then I went, oh yeah, they're all playing different characters. But I, I did, in fact, enjoy this bit. Mm-hmm. This whole Lancelot bit, I enjoyed. And this is probably my favorite bit in the movie. Mm-hmm. So the prince writes a letter.
3: I love how he just... Quickly, he's like looking at them and quickly turns, shoots the arrow and looks turns back. He's
1: not even looking at what he's writing. just you notice that? He was of just course, scribbling. Yeah. Of course. Yeah, right. And so he ties it up and he gets the arrow and he's looking at him like, I'm not doing anything wrong.
2: Yeah, the guard and that, just smiles back and nods. Yeah. Like everything's and, fine. And and then the dainty little bow, you know, it goes maybe like, what, 10 feet? If that. If that.
1: And then we cut to-
2: Lancelot. And then we get the- Message for you, sir.
1: And the, as he falls down. And so Lancelot reads the message, and he's assuming that it's Young Maiden.
3: Well, I also love how Lancelot turns to his to his guy and says, I will avenge you. And he's like, well, actually, I'm not doing too bad.
1: That running gag. Yeah. yeah.
3: But the one of the best parts, I know, Don, you were talking about this is one of your favorite scenes. One of the best parts, and it made me think of all these kind of action movies, is when Lancelot is running through the castle and just killing everybody. Just not even like... You know, fighting anybody he's just stabbing everybody the
1: guests everyone and and that's what i found so funny is he he comes in on a fucking mission right and he's he kills everybody and even the the people of the wedding or, or people that had nothing to do with anything people who were just standing there he would just stab them and what i liked about it is that the blood all the blood in this movie it looks like red paint mm-hmm. and i think Bright it's red and it's so over the top which makes it very absurd and i really enjoyed it this this bit i was laughing out loud at i don't know what that says about me but i was laughing out loud
0: i think the music in the whole tale of sir lancelot just like really sells it for me and makes it so much better because you have that bit at the beginning where he's running at the gate he, and the he, there's like the drumming in the
3: background
2: they're timpani oh. tymp- drums and it shows him approaching five times yeah. it's the same shot with him five not, times. yeah with
3: him not getting any closer
2: right and then all of a sudden he's there And he goes in and I my unofficial body count was eighteen.
0: Yeah, and I just I love the like the heroic like swell of music as he's going through and just chopping down all these innocent people. Like the music really just sells it as like he's this hero busting in saving the day, but he's really just going on a rampage.
3: And then he gets the prince and he's like, Oh, oh, oh,
2: oh. 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 (laughs) He's oh, I'm terribly sorry.
1: (laughs) And then he makes friends with the king. Right. Well,
2: sort of. The king sees an he's an opportunistic guy, right? right? Gets rid of the sun and he's somehow he's going to make this work. So yeah, he 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 really wants Lance a lot to stick around.
1: And then the same gag.
2: Yeah, they go well. They go back
3: out, and the king is addressing all the guests, and they're all chopped up. and
2: Let's not beggar and
0: argue who killed who. Right. Yeah. Yeah. This is supposed to be a happy occasion.
1: And then the prince comes back in. He didn't die. Yeah, I feel quite better actually.
0: Or I, I also found it hilarious when the king of the swamp, when he's complaining to Lancelot about everybody's murdered, he talks about how uh, Lancelot put a sword through the bride's father's head. But then later, when he's addressing them in the hall, people are talking about how the bride's father's going to recover, and it's like, if you put a sword through his head, how on earth is he recovering? <laughs> and then the swamp king again, also saying. Like the bride's father, who, when he seemed about to recover, felt the cold hand of death upon him, like, and he has the guard walking, like, through and just...
2: Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah.
3: I also like at the very end, when the prince, you know, comes back in, and he's getting ready to sing,
1: and everyone's like, he's going to sing, he's going to sing! Nope. (laughs) No musicals here. Which, again, is probably why it was my favorite part of the movie. Arthur and his knights regroup and are joined by Brother Maynard, his monk brethren, and three new knights, Bors, Gawain, and Ector. They meet Tim the Enchanter, who directs them to a cave where the location of the grail is said to be written. The entrance to the cave is guarded by the Rabbit of Karabagnong. Underestimating it, the knights attack, but the rabbit easily kills Bors, Gawain, and Hector. Arthur uses the holy hand grenade of Antioch provided by brother Maynard to destroy the creature inside the cave. They find an inscription from Joseph of Arimathea directing them to Castle
2: Ard. We have Arthur and Bedivere. They are inquiring about a shrubbery from an old woman in a village and she doesn't want to help them. And they decide she didn't want to help them because they were working with knee. And with that, they realize that maybe, maybe they should knee her yeah. to that, get the shrubbery. They keep saying that. Me,
1: me, me. And she's all, ah, 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 until another one of Michael Palin's characters comes in.
3: Roger the shrubberer.
1: He's a shrubberer, right? That's, that's convenient. So now they, have as, they can have as much shrubbery as they want.
2: So they take it back and they give it to the Knights of Knee. Go but ahead. this is where we find out
3: their word that they
2: can't hear. Which was it. Ah. But
3: it also, I love how they act, that they say, well, now you have to go on a quest to get another shrubbery, not an expensive looking shrubbery, but a cheap looking shrubbery. Then maybe they were for a walk away
2: and. Yeah, that whole bit. And did you catch that they had the little white pickup fence oh,
1: behind yeah. them? Oh,
3: yeah.
2: yeah. And then they were also told that they had to cut down a tree with a herring.
3: Mm-hmm.
1: How the hell do you cut down a tree with a herring?
2: Well, that's when Arthur's like, no, we're done. Yeah. And then suddenly they they discovered it. And then when they discovered it, this is when Sir Robin shows up and they start talking back and forth and they're they're saying it all the time. Well, I love at the end of this scene where they're kind of leaving
1: and the
3: the main knight, the tall
1: one says,
3: I can't believe they said it. I just said it. I said it again. I can't stop saying it.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I noticed that this movie likes to fade to black a lot too. Mm -hmm. You know, classic transition. We cut to the police and they are
2: covering up the body of the historian. And then we cut to this animation thing again.
1: Is this where they take their long journey mm-hmm. during this animation bit? They get trapped and then they have to eat Robin's minstrels. minstrels. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yep. Yep. yeah. I, I chuckled at that.
3: Wasn't there something in there about, they didn't taste half bad or something, something like, that? No, like it's, that. They had to
0: eat Robin's minstrels like, and there was much rejoicing. Oh. Yay. <laughs> My family, we play a lot of board games, card games, and I don't know how the connection came in, but there's this one card game called Dominion that we play and there's one specific card that when you play it, all the other players get to draw a card. And someone along the way, whenever you play that card, that I think it was my brother, he just went, yay. And then we every time someone plays that card, everyone else at the table, when they get to draw, they'll just do, yay. yay. To go along
3: with it. Nice. So then we get to Tim the Enchanter. I love the whole thing of, you know, what is your name? And name's Tim. <laughs>
2: Some call me Tim.
3: John Cleese in an in interview, or I think it was at one of the conventions, was asked if he improvised that name because it just sounded like he might have improvised. He goes,
1: no, it was always going to be Tim. That's funny. I thought they were going to bring in Merlin. I thought it was going to be Merlin myself. Totally. You know. mm-hmm. totally. Um, but throw us for a loop with Tim. Uh, would you guys think of him throwing the fire and the the fire effects and all that? It looked good. It didn't look half bad.
3: I thought it was a fun scene. Something Professor was mentioning earlier about that scene, and I mentioned why John Cleese hated filming this was because when he was up on that old cliff, it was really dangerous. He, if he had fallen, would have died. And there was a strong wind constantly blowing. So he was just his whole thing was, "Let's film it. Let's get it done, and let me get the hell out of here."
1: Oh, sure, sure. I like his staff because you could see the flame coming out of it. And I was thinking, well, that's pretty good pyrotechnics for back in the day. (laughs) Yeah.
2: Yeah. I thought so too.
1: And so he tells them where to find the location of the Holy Grail.
3: Well, no, to find the cave that'll have the location Uh, of it supposedly inside. That's
1: what I just said. (laughs) What'd you guys think of this whole bunny thing? Did you hear the story behind the bunny? I did not hear the story behind the bunny.
3: That was obviously a real bunny that they got from a woman that owned this bunny. It was like a show bunny or something. And she had two instructions from one, the bunny was not to be hurt and the bunny was not to be dirtied. Well, they basically took what they thought was some kind of removable washable dye and dyed like, you know, blood red all like all over it. Turned out that was permanent dye.
1: That's awesome. And I noticed that. Well, first I couldn't believe it was a fucking bunny. Mm -hmm. I'm like, oh wow, they're really going to do it. And when it attacks and it kills the three new knights, I'm thinking, wow, they fucking did it. And when Arthur and the knights attack, what I noticed as the bunny's going around, it'll cut to the fake bunny, to the real bunny. And when the real bunny runs across, his fucking coat is covered in blood. I thought that bit actually looked pretty good.
3: It was based off of Dungeons & Dragons. I guess there's a creature in it called a vorpal bunny. Oh, yeah. Or a vorpal rabbit that attacks and kills people. Now, the funny thing about when they died the bunny is the lady was pissed, obviously, when they gave the bunny back. And John Cleese, another cast member, said, they don't know why they didn't think about it. They should just bought her a new bunny. And not told
1: her. Yeah. Well, there you go. You know, hindsight's twenty twenty. Mm-hmm. Yeah.
2: I do really enjoy the the reveal of this. You know, behold the cave of Kyle Thanor. What? Oh, too late. There he is. What? Behind the rabbit? And then, and then oh come on, are you serious? Right? And then to have the guy go to, oh go
1: look, Jesus Christ!
2: That was probably my old fuck scene originally.
1: When oh, hour after he yeah, the bunny they, takes his head off. Yeah. yeah yeah definitely i I like that i warned you too yeah yeah
0: i like during the scramble when they're all panicking after they charge in after the bunny like run it,
1: away like,
0: there's the runaway but also the close-ups on all of like the very concerned like they have sir robin on the ground like putting his shield up in front oh yeah 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 like they give you the pov of the rabbit as it's flying through the the melee yeah
1: classic action shots yeah yeah what do you think of their solution the holy hand grenade? Mm-hmm. I thought that was brilliant. Absolutely.
3: I love how they kind of, they bring it out. The And I love the reading of the instructions.
1: Yeah, yeah. Count to three. No more than three. If you don't count to two, don't count to four. And if you've gone to five, you've gone to way, way past. Mm-hmm. So.
3: And then, of course, right before Arthur throws it, one, two, four.
0: <laughs> I do think it's funny, like it's not really foreshadowing, but like they set up the joke earlier when he's talking about how they lost three. Like they're saying like Hector boars and Gawain, they're all killed. And he's like, that makes five. And they're like three, sir. And then later when the grenade comes up again, he's counting to three and fucks it up. And so,
1: and the like three one, questions. Two,
0: yeah, exactly. Yeah.
1: So the rules of three, yeah. Interesting. I didn't notice the first two. I, I noticed the question bit as they kept pushing it. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. Oh, interesting.
2: So the hand grenade is thrown. It explodes. And then we cut to the police and they're at the shrubbery and they hear the blast of the hand grenade. And now they are called in that
1: direction.
0: Holy shit. I actually never noticed that they were at the shrubbery. Like I thought like they were just inspecting
2: something at random, but I didn't know that it was specifically the shrubbery. Mm. There
1: you go. They're piecing their way
2: together. And so Arthur and the group, they proceed into the cave and they bring brother Maynard forward and it's Aramaic that he ends up reading. That was
1: a fun little bit of the whole. (laughs) And how they figure it out?
0: Yeah, <laughs> why would he write? Perhaps he was dictating it.
1: Yeah, and they and they kind of put two and two together. But as it turns out, he says "r" because he gets eaten while he's transcribing, right? Yep. Because Brother Maynard makes the same fucking noise while he's you know getting eaten. So well, we
3: also have now we go back to an animation scene where they get chased by the monster with all
2: the eyes, right? Yeah, that's the that's the black beast of
3: ah, and that's where I guess the animator dies. I read that the reason why they had the animator die is because they didn't know how to end that animated scene.
1: That makes sense. I can see that.
2: So when, after that happens, now we have the police and they are outside the cave. And then right after that, we encounter the bridge of death. (laughs)
1: A cave monster devours Brother Maynard, but Arthur and the Knights escape after the animator unexpectedly suffers a fatal heart attack. The Knights approach the Bridge of Death, where the Bridgekeeper demands they answer three questions in order to pass or else be cast into the Gorge of Eternal Peril. Lancelot easily answers simple questions and crosses. Robin is defeated by an unexpectedly difficult question and an indecisive Galahad fails an easy one. Both are magically flung into the gorge. When Arthur asks for clarification on a question regarding the airspeed of an unladen swallow, the bridgekeeper cannot answer and is himself thrown into the gorge. Arthur and Bedivere cannot find Lancelot, unaware that he has been arrested by police investigating the historian's death. The pair reach Castle R, but it is occupied by the French soldiers from earlier in the film. After being repelled by showers of manure, they summon an army of knights and prepare to assault the castle. As the army charges, the police arrive, arrest Arthur and Bedivere for the murder of the historian, and break the camera, abruptly ending the film. Roll credits. So what did you guys think
2: of The Bridge of Death?
1: I thought it was humorous. I'm not going to lie. I thought they make it out to be this big thing, and it reminds me of... Indiana Jones, it reminds me of Lord of the Rings. I thought it was
3: funny. I just liked that the first set of questions were super easy. And so then Sir Robin's like, Oh, I can do this. And no problem. He's finally showing some bravery, goes up, and immediately is tossed
1: off. Yeah, I I, I kind of saw that coming.
0: Yeah, I thought it was funny how in the beginning King Arthur is saying, Sir Robin, you you go ahead and go first, and then they says, and then he passes it off to Lancelot. And I thought the tie-in there that I thought was funny is that. Sir Robin's title is defined by the not quite not quite as brave as Sir Lancelot. I just thought thought that was funny,
1: and Lancelot's like, "Fuck, yeah, I'll do it." and he goes up and passes and crosses the bridge. Uh, what did you guys think of the rest of them?
2: Loved it, right? You know we get an overly complex question, well, what is the capital of Assyria? you know it's like, oh my god, <laughs> right and so then so then when you have Galahad go up that he gets He's expecting something complex, but he gets the easy, what is your favorite color? Blue.
1: No, yellow. And he's gone, right? Because he, he said blue because of Lancelot. Right. But you should have said his real favorite color.
3: Now, yeah. Did you know the bridge guy cheated? In 932 AD, Assyria did not exist. So it
1: had no capital. Oh, well, fuck this movie.
2: That's it. Dropping it like two points. And then when we have King Arthur get up there, and that what question does he get? What is the airspeed velocity of an unladen swallow? What do you mean? An African or European swallow? What? what? I don't know that. And then he after he gets flung off. How do you know so much about swallows? Well, when you're a king, you have to
1: know these things. And the joke from the opening comes full circle. So so they get to cross and they come and they get to Castle R.
3: Well, before that, we we see, was
2: it Galahad being arrested? Yeah, well, first we get a little intermission card. For some reason, we get like this little 10-second intermission. I don't know what that was about. But yeah, then right after that, then there's Lancelot. He's being oh, Lancelot. arrested. Yeah. And then Arthur and Bedivere, they are presented with a ship, and they're taken to Castle. Oh.
1: And it's the same castle that the French were at. Mm-hmm. So. They try to get in and it's not happening. The French are just like, haha. More like, I always
3: assume they just dumped their chamber pots on them.
1: Oh, maybe. That's kind of what it looked like. Yeah. yeah. It,
3: it looked like they just got a shower with looked, shit. Pretty yeah. nasty. Which, again, goes back to the joke earlier about how can you tell he's a king? Right. He's not covered in shit. Yeah.
1: And so, and this is the bit that really reminded me of Braveheart when they're getting ready for the battle and just the shots and you have the long spears and all the. It's like they took their time to really craft these shots and for what it is and what this movie is, I, I enjoyed this scene because it looked great. They used very well.
3: They used 175 local students. They paid, I guess, like two pounds each and you know, food for the day for that army scene. Yeah. Yeah. It looked good.
0: I really like the scene too. I think like the army looks great. One. Thing I like, probably one of the only things I would change about this movie is I wish in the front they had some of the like really dressed up knights and they're pretending like they have horses. I wish they each had someone behind them with the coconuts, like clacking them together.
2: That would have just really made it for me.
1: And so they get ready to attack and then the cops come.
2: Yeah, right when they start their attack, a police car pulls
1: up and then, all right, all right, stop, 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 stop. You know what that reminded me of for some reason? Blazing saddles
3: yes, where they kind of go offset, yeah.
1: what did you guys think of how they ended this film? It was a very abrupt
2: ending, and I, I get why because you know you, you had you had the clashing of the two eras, and with that it's like, oh, all right,
3: I guess it definitely felt like that that's what maybe they were leading up to, but it was so abrupt and it just felt like they didn't know how to end it, so they just did
1: that.
0: Yeah, it was extremely anticlimactic.
1: When I saw it, I was thinking, is this really the end? Or are they fucking with me like they fucked with me at the opening? <laughs> yeah. No, it is fucking over. And that was it. And that's Monty Python and the Holy Grail.
2: I have something that has nothing to do with the film that came up just out of coincidence. You happened to bring up Blazing Saddles. The number one grossing movie for 1974 was Blazing Saddles.
1: Oh, was it? Mm-hmm. Oh. It's not like we reviewed it or anything. No, it's not like it at all. Weird.
2: Yeah.
3: I would say that Monty Python the Holy Grail probably holds up a little bit better than Blazing
2: Saddles. (laughs) You think? Just a tad. Did you ever see Blazing Saddles? No, I did not. You don't need to.
1: (laughs) (laughs) But you can listen to the podcast. Oh, there you go. All right, because it's on there.
0: All right, I guess I have one final comment. The... I guess it's the music at the intermission, but also the just the very end when you let it run. Uh-huh. Uh, I, for some reason, I love that music. I think it's amazing for some reason. It's really? elevator music, but for mm-hmm. me, it's just, I could listen to that for a while. I don't know why it's so satisfying.
1: Because it's the magic of the movie. It's the magic of the experience that you just had and all this nostalgia it brings back. It's the best time machine. So that's fucking awesome, Nolan. I love that. Welcome to a new segment we like to call Face the Wheel. The
2: premise is simple. I will spin the wheel and whatever category comes up, John and Don will apply it to the movie that we are reviewing. Once they have presented their idea, it's up to you, listeners, to let us know via social media or our website which idea you like best. So here's the categories. Mashup. Combine the movie that we are reviewing with another movie. Plot. Change the plot. Rename. Rename the movie. Genre. Change the genre. Reboot. Reboot the movie. Cast, premise. Etc. Fuck it. Skip the wheel for the week. I liked it better when it was cold. Well, that's pretty self-explanatory. Spin again. Duh. Pick any. Duh. Again. Add any character from any movie.
1: So, here we go. Spin it. And as the wheel is spinning, Nolan, you are more than welcome to play along as well. Sounds great. What'd you hit? Pick any. Pick any? No, you get to pick whatever you want, yeah. Mashup. Oh, you're picking mashup. Why not? All right, all right. So, Ooh, that's a tough one. I'm gonna have to think on this one. I don't. I'm ready. So,
3: Nolan, do you have, do you need some time to think? I'll, I'll probably t- need some time, but I think okay. you guys can go ahead. And-
1: all right. Well, I'll go first. You go second. Okay. Because you have yours, right? Oh, I have mine. Okay. I'm gonna take Monty Python and the Holy Grail, and as the as Arthur and his knights are on their quest, they're going to stumble upon Indiana Jones and Doctor Henry Jones. And they are going to combine efforts and through madcap shenanigans and death defying experiences, and they have to get through the booby traps together. They're going to find the Holy grail and the, and King Arthur is going to stay back and protect the grail. And it's going to be called Indiana Jones and the Holy grail.
3: I want you to know, I almost came up with the exact same thing but I thought it might be a little too obvious.
1: It's kind of on the nose, right? Talk about the easy way out.
3: (laughs) So you want to hear mine?
1: Fire away, guy.
3: So we pretty much have the same movie, Monty Python and the Holy Grail, except instead of having the police little interactions throughout it, they're being hunted by an alien creature who goes, basically, since these creatures have been hunting throughout time, the, the greatest sport, which is human they are taking out it's taking out the knights one by one yes we have a predator hunting the each of the monty python cast of king arthur's you know knights as they're going along setting up traps all of that to we finally have the showdown between king arthur and the predator good thing he's covered in shit because it can't see through the shit that way king arthur is able to lop off its limbs and give it a flesh wound so basically, we have King Arthur
1: and the Hunt for the Holy Grail. King Arthur and the Hunt for the Holy Grail, listeners. All right, what do you got there, Guy?
0: I got, I'm got. i coming up with nothing right now. This is tough. This is a lot harder than I thought it would be. I don't know. The, the first thing that came to mind, no idea why, was Monty, like mash it up with the Hunt for Red October. Just because that lake at the end, I just like could picture like if a sub pulled up and just they all loaded onto the sub before going to the... To the castle, but that's not. That's just what came out. Came so, what out. would you call it? So that's why I don't think it's a great match. Hunt for the red,
1: red Holy Grail. No, or I would it. call it Monty Python and the Hunt for the Red October. Exactly. There you go. Yeah, it's, yeah.
0: It, it makes it good for a good name, but not
1: such so yeah. a great. And yeah.
3: either way, you get Sean Connery in it again.
1: Either way, you get Sean Connery. That's true. So, just steal yeah. the cast. Yeah, yeah. Hey, man, I like it. That's good. <laughs> that's good. I, I, I'd, I'd put money behind it. Eh, maybe. <laughs> Maybe I th- I I think mine was the best, but
0: yeah, I think yours was pretty good.
1: Yeah,
2: but wouldn't it be fun to have King Arthur in Nolan's movie, talking to Captain Ramius, and Captain Ramius is talking to King Arthur about I don't know if you make that good of a King Arthur or not. Oh, maybe you're right? not my king. And there you have it, listeners. Let us know via social media or our website who you thought. Had
1: the better use of the category. And that concludes this week's Face the Wheel. All right. That was a lot of fun. And just so you guys know, I did get listener feedback for the Stand By Me round. Really? Yes, I did. And they said they liked the comic book guys the best. It was Stand By the Lost Boys. So, all right. Hey, thank you, listeners. Or, listener, you know who you are, and I just want you to know that you have filled my heart with happiness. Wait, so John won by one vote? By one vote. Hey, that's all you need. That's all you need. Oh, it's pretty
2: close. Sometimes it just takes one. That's right.
1: All right, what do you guys think? You guys ready to rate this flick? I'm ready to rate this flick. John, are you ready to rate this flick? I fart in your general direction. Your
3: mother was a hamster, and your father smelt like elderberries. Wait, what
1: What are you asking? <laughs> That's not bad. It started off really, it's kind of like this movie. It started off really good and then just kind of fills it up. Professor, how do we do our ratings?
2: We do our ratings on a scale of one to five fucks. Five fucks is a movie that we think is cinematic gold. A one fuck movie is a movie where you watch it once, you're done. You're never going to watch it again. And what's a zero? A zero fuck movie is a movie where you get done watching it and you turn to your buddy Oh for shit's sake. What the hell? Why did you make me watch this? I want 1 hour and 31 minutes of my life back.
1: Or in other words, we just don't give a fuck. Uh it is customary here at Three Guys and a Flick to give our guest the option of either going first or waiting. So Nolan, would you like to go first or would you like to wait?
0: I think I'd like I'd like to wait. Yeah.
1: Okay. Yeah. Uh, so then I guess it defaults to you there, guy, because you were the one that pulled it out of the Bronco helmet.
3: Well, since I pulled it out, I will go first. I love it. I'll give you something to pull. Fucking finally gives me an invitation, an I, open door. I know, I know. She's been waiting forever. What three years? Almost, Almost three years, yeah. Jesus. Okay. You before I start, Don, would you like to guess what my rating shall be?
1: I will play along this week and Monty Python and the Holy Grail, you're going to give 3.25 fucks. Is that your final answer? That is my final answer.
3: That's interesting you would choose that. You either love Monty Python or you're probably pretty annoyed by it. I remember when I first saw Monty Python and the Holy Grail and thought it was a pretty funny movie with a lot of quotable lines. I even used the lines, bring out your dead, I'm not dead yet, I Got Better, It's Only a Flesh Wound, and others all the time. There is no denying the comedy in this movie. And being based on a comedy by an acting troupe, if you're familiar with the Monty Python show, it gives gives the same good feelings of that show. It's a movie that really defines coordinated, utter nonsense. My only issue with this movie is, once you've seen it, I feel like each viewing afterwards moves it just a little more from funny to annoying. I've watched this movie so many times in college, and even after that, that last night's viewing felt a little bit painful in parts, to be honest. Monty Python and the Holy Grail is a comedy classic, and it deserves its cult following. It's definitely a movie I could recommend watching to others who haven't already seen it, or if it's been a long time. But if you have seen it many times like myself, it might be best to let it live happily in your memory than rather than revisit it. If, if it's on, I likely will watch some parts of it, but I can't my see, see myself wanting to watch it all the way through. So for those reasons, I'm giving Monty Python and the Holy Grail three and a quarter
1: fucks. Bang, baby. Three and a quarter fucks from the comic book guy. Guess right. All right. You or me there, guy. You go first. Monty Python and the Holy Grail. I will go ahead and say that this was probably the first time that I really sat down and watched this, and I can appreciate the kind of humor that it is. I like British humor. I like a lot of these actors. I've seen them in different bits all throughout my movie-going lifetime. But for me, I think that if I didn't catch on to the craze when I was younger, I'm not sure I would have caught on to it now. And it's not that it's bad. It's very well made. You can tell it's low budget and they're doing the best that they can. And I really thought watching it last night, this is fucking absurd. But like we said in the opening, I felt bad for calling it absurd because I thought I would be insulting people. But no, this movie is fucking absurd. And I think I had more fun talking about it with you guys than watching it. So I don't know what that says about me, but I do know what it says about this movie. I think that it dragged in some places. I think I like life of Brian better. I think I life, I laughed more with life of Brian. I remember seeing that. So there is that, but overall, I'm going to give Monty Python and the Holy grail 2.75 fucks. Sorry, Nolan. Okay.
2: Monty Python and the Holy Grail is a movie that I watched a lot when I was young, and it is a staple for me and my circle of friends from high school. It is very beloved in our circle of friends. I have quoted this movie numerous times. The characters are a lot of fun for me, and I really enjoy watching the movie every time, and it never gets old for me. The movie is hilarious in its slapstickness, I appreciate the the diversity of characters that all of these guys play, that they just play so many. And where they come up with this wacky, goofy stuff, I have no idea. But it, I find it very entertaining. And I think nostalgia has a strong part of it, that it is something that I look back on fondly in my young days. I really enjoyed it this last time.
1: 4.5 fucks. fucks from the professor. All right, Nolan, you're up, buddy. I
0: feel like I'm really going to skew the results here. For me, I've been watching this movie for forever. I've rewatched it numerous times. I think I was in middle school the first time I watched it, maybe even younger. There's just so much nostalgia factor for me in the fact that my family revisits this movie once every year or once every other year and every time a different joke will land a lot harder than before and it makes more sense to me either because i'm older or i'm just paying closer attention to certain parts of it and to me it's just so timeless if anyone asked if they wanted to watch this movie i don't think i would i i i would never say no i think i would always be down for i'd be like fuck it put it on it's a great movie i always laugh at it and i i I don't know if there's just something wrong with me that makes me love it so much, or if there's something wrong with everyone else who can't appreciate it as much for me, this is probably my favorite comedy movie of all time. So for me, Monty Python and the Holy grail is cinematic gold and thus I'm reading it. Five fucks.
1: All right. You know, you are not the first person to come on here to talk about their movie and give it five fucks. So kudos to you. And I am just so I'm impressed and blown away that this movie does mean so much to you and your family and it is so nostalgic and you know I'll just say it again and I'll say it until the day I die that is the power of film and storytelling and this that is art at its finest form so fucking kudos to you and your family Nolan that's fucking awesome with 2.75 fucks from me 4.5 fucks from the professor and 3.25 fucks from the comic book guy That gives Monty Python and the Holy Grail an average of 3.5 fucks, which puts it in the 18th spot, tied with Devotion, Free Guy, Little Miss Sunshine, Peanut Butter Falcon, Heat, and Big Trouble in Little China. Have you seen any of those? No.
0: Okay. That makes me sad. I've heard of Big Trouble in Little China.
1: It is slightly better than. Tango and Cash, Tremors, Ocean's 12, Barbarian, Summer School, and It Chapters 1 and 2. What about those?
0: Haven't seen a single one of those movies.
1: And it is slightly worse than The Shining, Commando, Top Gun in 1917.
0: I've seen Top Gun.
1: hey it's one, yeah uh, yeah, it's, it's man. one movie, and it's Top Gun. Hey, did you listen to the podcast on Top Gun?
0: Did you guys do both top guns? yeah, I, i'm pretty sure I listened to both, yeah, okay, I know I listened to the new one for sure, but I don't remember what you rate guys rated the original Top Gun, but when I watched it, maybe it's just because i was I wasn't part of the time or I wasn't around when it came out, but I thought it was so overrated, like my brother hyped it up so much, and I watched it, and I was like, it's okay.
1: And it's funny that you say that, not to get off on a crazy tangent, but I like the second one better. Mm -hmm. I like Maverick better than Top Gun. But the first one did take your breath away. (laughs) You son of a bitch. All right, that is going to wrap it up for this episode of Three Guys in a Flick. If you would like to know which episode we are going to be reviewing next, please check out our website, and speaking of which, John, where can they find us?
3: They can always find us at com, where we go ahead and post all of our show notes, our podcasts, and we have a web op form on there where you can contact us and submit movies you would like us to review next. You can also find us at all of social media, as well as any place that hosts podcasts. And if you're listening to our podcast on one of those host sites, be sure to go ahead and give us a like, a comment, subscribe, Recommend our podcast to your friends. We would love to hear from you.
1: All right. I just want to thank Nolan for coming on and talking about his favorite movie with us. Thank you so much for sharing your stories and your experiences. And I just fucking love the fact that that's what movies do. Did you have a good time?
3: Yeah, I had a great time. Thank you for having me.
1: Absolutely. You now have a seat with the three guys. And so anytime you want to come back, you're more than welcome.
3: And anytime he actually watches another movie, maybe he'll have something else to submit.
1: Oh, no, that's a, that's a great point. We should give him some suggestions of movies to watch.
3: I don't know. There's a whole podcast series I think he can listen
1: to. That was just, you beat me by half a second. That's where I was going. <laughs> I also want to thank anyone else who listens and who has suggested a movie. If you keep listening, we'll keep recording. For Three Guys in a Flick, I'm Don. I'm John. I'm Ken. And I'm Nolan. Me. 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 me, me. me. Is it bell Mm-hmm. Are you fucking sure?
2: Or Benavir?
1: Benavir. Benavir.
2: No, it's B-E-D. Benavir. Benavir. Okay. No, not, not B-E-N, B-E-D.
1: Bed- <laughs> <laughs> this is going to be fucking fun. Bed? Bededir. Benavir. Benavir. coconuts, a plan. Coconuts. <laughs> Concocks. You sons of bitches, coconuts. I was more worried about getting Bebedir right. Bedivir. Bedivir. Bedivir co- coconuts. <laughs> I was you sons of...
3: to <laughs> <laughs> <Some laughs> get a Russell jersey before it's gone.
1: Do you not think I have one? I don't think you have one. I have one. You have a Wilson jersey? A f- yes, I have a Wilson oh. jersey.
3: how they
2: do this season? You, you purchase it almost immediately. What did you say? I said, how'd they do this season? They
1: finished 8-9, dick. <laughs> yeah?
2: That's they didn't fucking even awesome. didn't even make the playoffs.
1: You can fuck off, too. <clears throat> are you trying to piss me off? So you're having buyer's remorse on that jersey, or is it a collector's item? No? All right, get out. Why are you waving that paper back and forth? I'm you just have... ready. Are you ready?
3: I'm ready, but I want to know what the professor's got.
1: <laughs> I'm going to go out on a limb. Professor did such a good job last week, I'm going to say this time he doesn't have anything. Am I right? This what?
3: is where the professor impresses us with his porn name abilities for a movie. What do you got, John? I have Mount My Python and The Happy Trail.
1: That's pretty good. What about you? you got any?
3: Do you got one?
0: I not
2: really. What about you, Nolan?
0: Give me a couple. I'm, I'm brewing. One's brewing.
2: Okay. Professor, what do you have? You have something brewing. Monty's Python and The Horny Girl.
0: There you go. There it is. Yeah, that, that was the angle I was thinking of, too. I, I came up with uh, Monty's Python and the Happy Trail. but
1: Yeah, mm. I like that. Well done. Well done. I don't have one this week. I'm lame. So.
0: Oh God, I, just, I just came up with another. Sorry. Uh, Monty's Python and the Holy Rail.
1: Nice. <laughs> I like that one, too. The Holy Rail. Who doesn't like getting railed, right? Consensually. Been there, done that.
0: Um, turn it into a musical. Like, come up with like some song titles or something. Spam a lot
1: fuck off okay do not give him any fucking ammunition there okay yeah yeah all right may all of your uh days and nights be filled with happiness all right fuck off good night